Well, hello everyone. I'm Josh, if we've not met before, and I'm really looking forward to moving us forward in our Galatians series today. This week, a very significant two-week conference began in Glasgow, and you might have seen it on the news, the United Nations Climate Change Conference, or COP26. Key figures, politicians, world leaders, and even David Attenborough were all in attendance. The aim of the conference, how can we unite together to restore and help our planet flourish for future generations? What life changes can we all make to protect our planet? This is such an important conference and we pray that it propels us all forward to help protect our planet because the God we worship is all about restoration and it's part of our job to tend and cultivate the garden, isn't it? Well, about 2,000 years ago, another important conference took place, which would also have a global impact. And it was probably, and is really, one of the most significant events in the New Testament. This conference became known as the Jerusalem Conference. And you can find out more about it from Acts 15, and we will look shortly at Galatians 2, where Paul will give us his own reflections on this conference. At this meeting, we have James, the half-brother of Jesus, as well as John and Peter, who are apostles and disciples of Jesus. And we also have Paul, Barnabas, and Titus. The purpose of this meeting was to decide whether or not Gentiles, that's non-Jews, should observe circumcision. And you might be thinking, uh, why was circumcision such an issue? Well, circumcision was an identity marker for the Jewish people. It was a way of confirming that they were part of God's chosen people. Initially, circumcision wasn't really an issue for the early church because they were already circumcised Jews. But as the church became more Gentile, uncircumcised people were now hearing the gospel, getting baptised and joining the church. And so the question was asked, do these Gentiles need to be circumcised? And what laws should they follow? And this is why the Jerusalem Council was such an important meeting, because it was decided there that the Gentiles did not have to be circumcised. Very good news for many of us. Some people still disagreed and believe Gentiles should be circumcised, and that's why we have Galatians. That's why Galatians was written, essentially, against these people. Um, if you've not already watched the first two sessions of this Galatians series, please go back and make time to do that, because it provides a really important context for Galatians 2 and the remaining chapters. Also at this meeting, it reassured Paul of his ministry to the Gentiles. He says himself he didn't want to, he wanted to be sure that he wasn't running this race in vain. At this meeting, Paul was recognised publicly by those first apostles that he was in fact an apostle sent by God to preach the gospel to Gentiles. During this meeting, Paul has an altercation with Peter. So let's jump straight to the scriptures and start reading from Galatians 2, verse 11. When Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. 
Peter used to eat with the Gentiles, but when he saw James's zealous Jewish followers, Peter was afraid and he swapped tables. You know, they better not see me eating with Gentiles, Peter thought. Peter's very insecure here. He's, he's wavering. He's probably afraid that if he gets spotted with Gentiles, rumors might start to spread that he isn't taking his Jewish heritage very serious anymore. But Peter knows more than anyone that in swapping tables to sit with Jews, what he was doing is wrong. Peter walked with Jesus, didn't he? And Jesus, we know, he ate with tax collectors and sinners. So if anyone knows how open a table, a table becomes when you're a Christian, it's Peter. However, you know, sometimes it's just easier, isn't it, to conform rather than have to explain everything. You know, when someone asks you, what, what did you do at the weekend? Sometimes it's easier, isn't it, to say, well, I went for a walk and spent time with friends and family. We don't mention that we went to church because then we would have to explain what prayer is and what worship is. And then they might ask us, do you believe in heaven? And, and I really hope they don't ask if I believe in hell. And I really, really, really hope they don't ask me what I believe about different ethical issues. We don't want to create a fuss, do we? And we're not totally lying. We did spend time with friends and family. Peter is probably thinking, I'm not against Gentiles. I just think it's easy if I sit with Jews so I don't have to explain to James and his followers why I'm sitting with Gentiles. But is this really sticking to our principles or is it acting differently depending on who we're talking to? Paul here could have easily said nothing. This is Peter, a disciple of Jesus. But Paul knew, Paul knows it matters that you stand up for what you believe in. It matters that we are secure in our identity and it matters that we know who we are and that we're proud and we're unashamed and we're unwavering. So Paul does stand up and he says this from verse 14. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, that's Peter, in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth are not so-called sinful Gentiles. Know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. We have been justified by Christ, not by circumcision or other works of the law. Justification simply means God has made you right so that you can make the world right again. And Paul will go on to expand this point in the next chapter when he will conclude there's no Jew or Gentile in Christ Jesus. So my question to you is, who are you? Who are you? If someone was to ask you this question, how would you answer? Would you answer it differently depending on who asked you? It's a big question, isn't it? Who are you? Paul has the right answer to this question in the following passage, a passage which essentially sums up most of Paul's writings. Um, let's read then, shall we? Galatians chapter 2 from verse 19. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. 
Paul says that he has died to the law so that he might live for God. Paul will go on to say more about the law in chapter 3. But for now, it's important to know that the law was good, but it was only intended to play its part until Christ came. Paul says, I have died to the law. In Romans 7 verse 1, Paul reminds us that the law has authority over someone while they're alive. So Paul argues in Galatians, because I've been crucified with Christ, because I died with him, the law no longer has authority in my life. In dying and, and rising again, the law is no longer the guide for my life. Instead, what Paul calls the law of the Spirit is now in action through this new empowering resurrection life of Christ within me. This Spirit is my guide and this enables me to, uh, and you to do God's will. Paul says in verse 20, a key verse, doesn't he, in this book, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. It's a purposeful, contradictory statement. I'm dead, but I'm alive. But it's not me, it's Christ in me. The grammar here means this. I have been crucified with Christ. Although it's a past event, it continues to impact me every day. In other words, I, you, are presently in the state of having been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ and this co-crucifixion continues to be a reality to this day. However, as well as being dead, I'm also alive. But it's not me that's alive, it's Christ that lives in me. Notice that Paul doesn't say Christ has been crucified for me or my parents were crucified with Christ or the church I attend has been crucified with Christ. No. What does he actually say, I have been crucified with Christ. It's a co-crucifixion and it's deeply personal. Paul is saying here, when Jesus was crucified, I was with him too. When Jesus was raised to life, I was raised to life too. Now, obviously, Paul and you and I did not die literally and come back to life literally, but having had his life completely changed forever, there's no other language Paul can think of that better describes this other than I've been crucified with Christ. Elsewhere in another of Paul's writings, in Romans 6, 7 and 8, he goes into far more detail in those chapters about this. He doesn't have time to mention it here, but baptism, dying to sin and living life in the spirit is clearly in Paul's mind in Galatians. Uh, we will look at this in more detail in the coming weeks in chapters 5 and 6. And water baptism is a practical way you and me can identify with Christ. We die in the water and we arise to new life, new creation when we come out of the water. We've been co-crucified, but we've also been co-resurrected. I want you to take a look at the following image. It might help to kind of illustrate what I'm talking about here. This is called inosculation, and it occurs when branches or roots of different trees are in prolonged intimate contact. They often graze against each other, and their inner tissues fuse into one tree essentially. The, the larger tree on the right is feeding the thinner tree on the left and keeping it alive. You know, you might expect the thinner tree on the left to be dead without life. It's actually being sustained by the life of the larger tree. Likewise, you and me, we've been co-crucified with Christ. Christ was actually crucified on a tree, <laughs> but it's not you who lives. It's the life of Christ which is sustaining you now and keeping you alive and flourishing. One thread also 
that, w- that runs through Galatians and continues to impact you and me today is identity. The Galatians were insecure in their faith and thought maybe if we embrace circumcision and other Jewish practices, we might feel more secure in our salvation. Peter, we saw in this chapter, he's pretty insecure. He acts differently depending on who's in this room. Like the Galatians, we sometimes forget the simplicity of the gospel. Like the Galatians, you and me, we sometimes feel like the gospel is just a bit too good to be true. Surely there's something else I could be doing, some other requirements I can add on top of the gospel in order to give myself that extra assurance. More than ever, we and the world struggle with a sense of identity. We're not quite sure who we are sometimes. Identity is who you are. It's It's what you believe, but it's what you believe about yourself. If you've got a strong sense of identity, a strong sense of who you really are, then you're more likely to be more confident and secure and purpose just floods your life. And so what is the best advice out there from the number one bestsellers for figuring out your identity? Stop being who you're supposed to be and embrace yourself. Be your true authentic self. Listen, I'm not gonna name names or name books, but being yourself is not as straightforward as we often think. Who is this self we're trying to be? And and what if you don't like who you are or, or if you crumble at your own embrace? When we go for a job interview or maybe on a date, we we want to impress someone, don't we? We're actually, we actually try to hide and conceal different aspects of who we really are. We don't want people to know everything about us straight away. And actually, in our experience, the best kinds of people are not those who are consumed with who they are, but they are those who are generally concerned about how others are. But what does Paul say here? Verse 20. I've been crucified to Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. I'm dead. I'm not alive. I'm not supposed to be me. The old me has died. And I'm not talking about a struggle between your old self and your new self. No, listen very carefully. You died with Christ. You're dead. Nevertheless, you're alive. But it's not you. It's Christ in you that lives. You aren't supposed to be you. You're supposed to be Christ in you. You will still have your quirks and personalities, but yourself has been crucified with Christ and Christ now lives through you. That is who you are. But you and I have to actually be able to experience this in our own lives personally. Listen to how Paul speaks here. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. Now listen to what he says. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Notice the seven personal pronouns in one verse. There's eight in Greek. I, I, me, I, I, me, me. For Paul, it's so personal. Now the the true gospel, not the false one, as shown in Galatians, is that God is making one big family who can all sit around the same table as equals. We can't escape this grand cosmic redemption, can we? It's not me and my private religion, but it's bigger than me. It's us. This is all true. But while God saves us together, he also grants personal communion to each of us. He died for all. But as Paul says here, he also died for me because he loves me. God loves me. In the words of the early church father, John Chrysostom, each of us 
ought to tend, ought to render as much thanks to Christ as though Christ had come for him alone. For God would not have withheld this gift even from one person. He has the same love for every individual as for the world. Know today that, that who you are is loved by Christ. He loves you personally and he wants to live through you. Unlike Peter, I'm sure he repented. Uh, we don't need to be ashamed or embarrassed about who we are. Uh, you've been co-crucified and co-resurrected with Christ. Although you're dead and dying, you're alive. That's who you are. But it can't remain a doctrine. And it's not true just because your parents or your church believe it. We must, you must believe like Paul and say Christ loved me and he died for me. Thanks so much for listening, guys. I hope you get the chance to discuss this in more detail throughout the week. Um, God bless and enjoy the rest of this awesome Galatians series.